Thank you for tuning into the Radicards podcast on Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and today I have Ryan Daly joining us again for this episode. Hey, hey. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Not bad. Not bad. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Of course. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about um, the brand, Radicards. We've launched a new product, and we're going to be talking about the National, Otani, Jonas Cespedes, Joey Votto. We're going to be talking about a sale that took place last November and uh, Bowman Platinum, Jason Hayward, and we're going to finish it off with a conversation about Fernando Martinez. So let's get right into it here. Uh, first things first, what if Dustin Hoffman played Darth Vader? <laughs> I just think about that. It sounds so funny. Like his voice in the background instead of like... James Earl Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> I just would picture him and his voice and all the scenes, this logical, normal, almost like warm voice from Dustin Hoffman playing Darth Vader. To me, I just had that thought the other day. I thought that'd be funny to think about. (laughs) Didn't didn't they have somebody do all of the voiceover work for Darth Vader and then they eventually scrapped it? That I don't know. That I don't Pretty know. sure they did. There, there's been a few cases of that in Hollywood. Like somebody shot most of the scenes for Back to the Future for Michael J. Fox's character, and they decided he wasn't working well into production, and they brought in Michael J. Fox. And obviously, it's a legendary movie. Wow. But this, these things happen in Hollywood. You know, Dustin Hoffman, as Darth Vader, would certainly would have <laughs> made that movie turn out a little differently. <laughs> So funny to think about, man. I, I, I think in you know in in business you put people on a probation status and they see how it works out for a time, and then usually it's like a you know, two or three month period, and then if it's up for review, they they're like, yeah, you know, we want to put you on full time for you know salary. And this this happens sometimes. Um, in these c- cases, in the acting arm of business, I would imagine it's pretty frequent because people are kind of testing the waters. I know that. Meg from Family Guy was the voice was done by somebody else for a, a short time in the very beginning years, like back in '99, before Mila Kunis came on and took over. And so it was. Uh, that's one of those instances where you just try it on and see if it works, and then obviously it's like a at will opportunity. So either you, as the actor or the employer, can make the decision to cut ties uh, whenever you want. It's like not a not a lot of security there. There's no union or anything, but um, yeah, that's uh, and that happens in business quite a bit. So good stuff. I'm glad we got to talk about that. That was that's a good introduction to our sports card and hobby podcast. <laughs> there's there's a lot of what ifs and in, in sports cards. So totally, yeah, it's a good totally. intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving on here. Um, uh, my company, Rad Cards. Uh, we re- we launched fitted. BGS graded card bags recently, our latest product. Go check those out. You can get those at store.radicards.com. You order them direct from us. Um, and we look forward to shipping your order. They're really excellent. Actually, they're a little bit more fitted than, than the normal generic universal graded card bag. They're just a little bit closer to the edges. So, you know, less to no bunching at all in graded card boxes, those shoe boxes specifically for graded cards. Uh, those are we're just really happy to bring those to market. Those are excellent. I'm a big fan of them. I think they're fantastic. But so yeah, go check those out on store.radicards.com and have it have a look. Hope you enjoy them. Pretty confident that you will. Uh, 
Moving on, the National is happening this year in Cleveland, Ohio. And a lot of big names showing up to, to sign autographs. Uh, you know, I didn't really get into the autograph thing myself just because the long wait times. And I know you can buy um, uh, advanced passes to get in front of the line. You pay a premium for that. Um, it's it's a cool arrangement for those of us that like the autograph thing. There's always that, you know, um, conversation. If you pay a lot more to meet them in person, get the autograph. You could pay like a third of that to get an autograph online of the player. Sure. I think what you pay for is the memory of meeting, you know, that player and having that uh, as a, as as a as a thought going, you know, going through your life. So I understand why why those things exist. But yeah, really mm-hmm. cool stuff that's happening from um, August one through five. At, in Cleveland, Ohio this year. It's the 39th National Convention. It's kind of cool. Uh, really awesome stuff that uh, that happens at, at the shows. There's always like tons and tons of dealers, obviously, but then you've got like side panels and um, these like salons and things that take place and, and you can go and enjoy uh, other arms of the National. You remember when we went in 2012, right, Ryan? Definitely, yeah. 2012 Baltimore. Yeah really fun time super fun um i would recommend if if it makes sense for you financially and from a a time standpoint you know make it out there and make make the most of it bring some extra cash um because there's always things there that you don't really plan on encountering and you know the, the guys that show up and display what they have to sell i mean they're serious and they they have every intention of leaving the national with as little inventory as possible, I would imagine. So it's a really fun place to kind of make some deals and meet other collectors, maybe do some trades, network, you know. It's just, it's super fun. Yeah, you know, um, you, you touched on a point that, that, that the dealers, they like to take home less than they brought, obviously, to make sales, right. whatever. So a little tip. You can wait till like day five, end of Sunday, and people start like it's too bad on day five. People are already getting up and leaving, so you're like cut short a day. You paid for five days, a full five day pass, and you've got dealers already leaving on day five. So you don't even get right. there. That, that, that's that's kind of always bothered me. You do if you're a dealer, stay there all the way till the end of day five. Like stay till five or six or whenever it closes on day five. But can't expect everybody to do that. But on day five, uh, publication, you know, authors. Uh, usually don't want to take home the books um so it's good to see if you you can sometimes get deals on those publications they're usually like you know some price point otherwise that's quite a bit higher and because the 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 weight um and you know how much hassle it is to move books back into inventory you can sometimes find deals on those things on day five so just a little tidbit for you uh, but yeah, the Nationals fantastic. If you haven't gone, definitely check it out. It's highly recommended. It's such a cool event. You have like all year to do whatever you do, and then you have this one week that's like magic, and you can enjoy it as like from morning to night because there's stuff happening after the show. There's like trade nights and there's like panels and all this other cool stuff, and you get to meet the other collectors. You get to see, you know, people in person that you may have met online. It's just a really really fun time. I I personally think it's the, maybe one of the most entertaining weeks of the year. Um, I've, I've always gotten a big kick out of it. But I wanted to point out that on radicards.com, I've drafted a really excellent um, manual for how to plan for the National Sports Collectors Convention. Uh, I did this last year. 
this article was published in February and I update it um, frequently. Um, so this is a really excellent resource for like, you know, covering how much money to, to take on the trip, where should you stay? I talk about hotel rooms, ticketing options, what you should bring. That's a big piece of it. I learned the hard way not to ever bring sandals uh, to, the, <laughs> to the national. In 2012, I brought sandals. And by the time I got home, my feet were just covered in blisters. It was horrible. I was so I was, I was in I was in a lot of pain on day two, and it just got worse. So, food situation. What does that look like? I talk about that. Uh, your dining options, dinner time, that kind of thing. Um, should you bring cards to trade or sell? I talk about that. How much negotiation room is there on card prices? I talk about that. Uh, is trading encouraged? Again, discussed. Um, I also discuss, you know, process of walking through the convention. Um, and then national promos and giveaways and things like that. So definitely go to radicards.com and check out this article. It's really excellent. Um, I'll link it below if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to this on iTunes, just go to radicards.com and search um, National Sports Collectors Convention or just look at the uh, the education category. It's all there. And uh, I think you'll really get a kick out of that article. I enjoy uh, updating this when I can. If I, if I think of something new, I just add some tidbits in. But National is just a fantastic time. It's a little expensive, but what isn't, right? I mean, things that are entertaining and they take a week of your time can be, you know, they can require some financial commitment but you know i'll put this into perspective if you tally how much money you spend eating out throughout the year i'm almost certain you'll spend more money on that than the national convention so anyway that's kind of just a fun thing to, to discuss the national is just a, such a big part of a lot of collectors lives and um if you haven't gone check it out if you can't go this year try to make it a point to go in a future year it's good stuff thanks ryan for for your feedback on that sure uh, Ryan, do you want to talk about this next one? Sure. Um, I feel like every week on the podcast, we've mentioned Shohei Otani in some sense. Mm -hmm. So here we go again. He's been cleared to start throwing. Um, he's been acting as a DH for the past couple weeks. Um, and he's been producing. Uh, he's gotten nine home runs on the season so far. Hitting right around 270, 23 RBIs. Um, since we're just sort of breaking into August, um, I'd be surprised if he actually makes any starts on the mound. But he is cleared to do bullpen sessions, um, work with the pitching coaches, and all the other things that happen kind of behind the scenes. Um, so obviously he's the most exciting player to when we started the 2018 season. Um, and it's sort of fizzled because of his injury, but, uh, we might see him on the mound again. We might not, I don't know the, the injury he had for those who don't know, it was a UCL tear in his elbow and that usually leads to Tommy John surgery, um, which as at least a year away from baseball. So I'd be surprised if, if it ultimately, doesn't end up with Tommy John. Most players that have these UCL tears uh, need TJ surgery. Um, so I feel like the Angels just sort of delaying the inevitable. But um, for now, he's cleared to continue throwing. Um, and he'll probably finish the, the season at the plate for the Angels. Uh, obviously, very fun hitter to watch. Um, so at least we get to see him do that. And hopefully we can see him back on the mound 
uh, and at the plate next season. Yeah, I mean, the question I always have when I talk about his health is like, when will he have Tommy John surgery? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it's 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 almost like an, an inevitability that this, this kid will eventually have to have at this surgery. Yep, yeah, seems like a sort of a when situation, right. not an if situation. And the Angels have another young pitcher, Garrett Richards, who um, has had a slew of injuries, including UCL issues, and they treated it with with stem cells. And he ultimately elected, I think, a few weeks ago, just to get Tommy John surgery. And there are a few other players that have done this where they've sort of put it off and they've treated the, the symptoms here and there, but they haven't really gotten to the root of the problem. And I, I feel like the angels might just kind of use Otani's arm until it blows up <laughs> and, he, and then he needs surgery. Um, but you know, in the interest of time, you know, Otani's young, but still like it's such a huge process and a huge recovery to go through Tommy John surgery. Yeah. It Why is. not just do it now and get it over with and come back uh, with this amazing juiced up elbow. Well, the thing I think about is, you know, we're, we've, we've, we've surpassed halfway season. And so you, I think the angels just don't want to lose him quite yet because once he's committed to that, it's, they, they lose him for the rest of the season. So yeah, I think they're trying to, hit, so they're, they're trying to utilize him for the remainder of the season and then let that six month halftime that, that like time off, to allow him to, to deal with that surgery, knowing that they won't see him in 2019. But, you know, if they can have him for another couple of months, then, you know, let's, let's keep him on board, you know, like let's, let's, let's get as much out of him as we can. I mean, they bought him, they paid for him. They need to be able to use him as much as they can. So I totally get that. But I also understand like get it over with, but get it over with when the time is right. I don't think right sure. now is a good time to do that. Uh, so the angels always need as much help as they can get because they struggle getting to the postseason, And so, um, this is an important piece and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to him helping them do that. And, you know, also looking forward to him coming back after he does have surgery, which is, seems like, like we said, almost an expectation at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, we got basically two months of baseball left for the angels anyways. Yeah. So you might as well just sort of use them at the plate and then in the off season, maybe reevaluate them, get the surgery if need be. Mm-hmm. And he'll be back, uh, gosh, 2020, I guess, which is kind of crazy to think about, but that's just sort of how the procedure works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that, uh, he's able to, um, enjoy some success before he, uh, we hang it up this, this year, you know, we call it good. We're done. So, um, anyway, that's good stuff. I, I hope that, uh, Regardless of if or when he has surgery, he comes back still a superstar. Uh, moving on, we got uh, Jonas Cespedes has been dealing with um, calcifications in both of his heels since he was a teenager. Really? And, since yeah. he was a teenager? Yeah, and he, he wanted to put off surgery until after he retired because his whole thing was, you know, he knew he had to have surgery at some point. So he's been dealing with pain in his heels like his whole career, you know? And so now he's out for eight to 10 months because he, now he has to have it. He just can't go on any further without having the surgery. So the Mets have lost their hitter uh, for the next, well, the rest of this year, obviously. And um, hopefully he can come back in 2019 um, if that lead time is correct. We might be able to see him next year. So I can't imagine what kind of 
pain that is having both you're walking on that you're running on that both heels man not just one That's leg both of them i can't even imagine how upsettingly painful that is that's got to be just terrifying so i hope that uh, it's a fast it's a fast recovery for him i know fast is like a pretty loose term fast can be two years fast mm-hmm. could also mean eight to ten months so i hope that whatever it is maybe a fast is the wrong word to use maybe it should be successful recovery um so yeah you know i haven't really followed a lot of Jonas cespedes i i also know he's a pretty good power hitter and so having him out of the game is going to be a sting for the Mets yeah I mean Cespedes is just one of these guys that continues to be played with injuries and um, I followed his career since he was this amazing Cuban defect who got signed by the A's of all teams and it's always been every year. It's like, will he, won't he, you know, cause every, he's got all these amazing, um, natural athletic gifts and he's only had a few seasons where he's really shown his, his prowess on the baseball field. And it's because of these injuries that just keep nagging him. So I hope that, like you said, I hope he recovers, um, thoroughly and healthily and I hope he can be back on the field in time for next year and uh, produce because he's really fun to watch when he's healthy. But it just seems like he's got these little narrow windows when he's actually healthy and producing on the field. Um, I mean, bothered since he was a teenager. That's that's really insane to learn about. <laughs> it is. It's upsetting. But I understand, you know, from from a, a Cuban player's perspective, you just you're trying to do whatever you can, and you know, there's, there's a history of like lying about your age and where you're from and all that just to make it to America and play baseball. So I get it. I mean, he doesn't want to uh, sacrifice a season to have surgery. Um, so I hope the best for him. I mean, he's. I, I don't know if you remember when when he was being touted. Before the A's signed him, there was this YouTube video of him going around like squatting 400 pounds and bench pressing like 300 pounds and all this stuff. And he was like this huge sensation to watch. And um, like I said, he's had a couple good years, um, but it's just the health has always been an issue. And I hope he can come back and, you know, put a, a few more solid years under his belt with the Mets before he ultimately retires. Um, you know, the Mets deserve maybe a world series with him. Um, they've also been another team. that's just like historically plagued by injuries. So I'm sure as a Mets fan, you're just so frustrated right now. And yeah, I hope he can, I hope he can recover and come back and continue to produce. Yeah. I remember him being super hot. I think he was really hot back in 2012. If I can remember yeah. correctly, I wasn't I don't you know I didn't buy the pack thing or whatever I just remember hearing his name come back in conversation with like he's the guy to watch and um I want to say he came up with the with the A's that was that was his thing mm-hmm. um, yeah he came with Oakland and then he got moved around a little bit before he ended up with the Mets and so um whatever the case man I hope it's going to be a fast and, and successful recovery for him and we can be able to enjoy his performance next year Obviously not as gnarly as uh, as Tommy John, but still a significant surgery. So, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, 
Moving on, uh, Joey Votto wants to be a school bus driver when he retires. You know, this is interesting. Good for him. <laughs> Usually it's kind of the other way around. You, like, hope to be something fantastic in your life, but you end up being a school bus driver for, like, 40 years and then retiring. Right. And then you've got this backwards thing with Votto. He's like, I want to have a multi-million dollar career, make a whole bunch of money, and just drive a school bus when I retire. Drive you a know? school bus. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and, you know, start a publicly traded company and sell it for multiple millions of dollars and then go be a trash man when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that driving a school bus is not honorable. I mean, being a trash man is also very honorable. They're both honorable roles. I just find it interesting that, that you do this and then do want to do that after. It seems kind of backwards. I don't know. Maybe it's just my own opinion. Thoughts? Yeah, Joey Votto is... Um... He's like the this amazing contrarian guy. All of his interviews, he says odd things, and uh, he's really funny and kind of quirky. Um, and I appreciate him because if you listen to any interview with an athlete, no matter the sport, it's usually just a no-nonsense kind of answer that doesn't really say anything. Right. You know, they say, oh, you know, we're just going out there trying to win, do our best. Like, okay, fine. <laughs> but Joey Votto always says these really kind of out there things. <laughs> and it's it's funny because he's like one of the best hitters of the generation. He's amazing. And so, like, he doesn't have to do any of this. Um, but he does. And it's entertaining. I appreciate him because as someone who follows sports media probably more than they should, um, you read a lot of dumb quotes from athletes and <laughs> Joey Votto never fails to entertain me, uh, whether it's with what he's saying or yeah. uh, what he's doing on the field. So I've heard that too, uh, actually that he's, he's entertaining yeah. in a lot of ways. Every time he's got a mic in, you know, in his hand, he's, you can expect some entertainment from Joey Votto. Yes. Um, he's, he's very serious on the field. Um, he's got a lot of passion for the game. Um, but when he's in the locker room giving these interviews, he just kind of finds like the inner goofball, I guess. Um, and definitely one of my favorite players um, over the over the past, you know, seven or eight years. Yeah. And I embarrassingly don't own any of his kind of key rookie pieces. They're right. affordable and out there. I've priced them out over the years. I just I've never really pulled the trigger. But well, the big one is the O2 Bowman Chrome. That's the that's the key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe one day. I mean, I don't really I haven't priced that probably in about a year. But you know, the Reds are kind of a fun team and they're sort of they they gave him a huge contract and they're kind of building around Joey Votto. Yeah. Um he's great, man. So they they he's he's fantastic. They could be in contention in the next I don't know, 2 2 years. They have a lot of super young talent. Um, kind of like the Phillies and the Braves. Um, so I would love to see him in the playoffs and I, I wish the best for him, uh, in his retirement as a school bus driver. <laughs> right. I think it's pretty entertaining. Like it, I don't, I'm not mocking it. I just think it's really cool that someone is so, um, accomplished wants to just chill back and be a school bus driver. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's to me, it's very you know, admirable that someone wants to do that after retire because a lot of guys are retiring and you just never hear from them again. They just they're just hanging out now, like they don't have to do anything because they made their money. But he wants to still contribute some value to to in some way after he retires. I just think that's really fun. It's kind of fun when I read that. I was like, how fun! Yeah. Also, he's Canadian, which kind of adds to like 
the goofiness. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, he's he's, I think, on his way to a Hall of Fame career. I mean, I just I'm looking at his numbers and I I just floored by them actually. His average is well above 300 career. You yeah, know? I mean that's that's awesome. Uh, he's a pretty good. He's a good power hitter. You know, he's approaching the 2,000 hit mark. Well, he's kind of a ways away, but a couple of years, he'll get there. Um, six-time All-Star MVP and a Gold Glove, so he's got some credentials under his belt. Yeah. Uh, moving on, in our last podcast, you we discussed uh, a couple of auctions that are on eBay right now. The Buy It Now's, the bins. One of them was a 2012 Bowman Sterling dual autograph with Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, one of one, right? And the guy wants $100,000 for it. I remembered that I featured this card in um, a, top, a, a top 10 list. I, did, I used to do one of one editions. And uh, last year, November of 17, this card made num- the one, number one spot in, in that month's top 10 list for the one of one edition. And it sold auction style, 34 bids for $5,350. Auction style. The market said it was worth 5350 bucks. okay? Now, fast forward to now, right? Eight months later, well, nine, and now that the current owner wants 100 grand. I mean, I, I'm no economist, but I don't think markets have the ability to appreciate in that, in that percentage. I, don't, I just don't think it's possible. It's crazy. I, I, I didn't bring this up last time because it was between last time and now. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that that was one of the cards featured. Yeah, it's I, I, the the owner of this card is a little misinformed about what the market would bear for this kind of card. It's it's a huge card. Don't get me wrong. Huge. But, well, it's worth fifty three hundred and fifty um, bucks. We know that, right? Right. And <laughs> so, I mean, the Trout is is the big name. Harper's sort of having a, a down year. If you, I, I mean, if I if I own this card, I would wait until Harper has a peak again. Mm-hmm. Um, because regardless of whether or not Trout's on the card, you, it's two players. So yeah, and and Harper is not having his best year. The the Washington Nationals are not having their best year. Um. So, uh, yeah, the hundred hundred thousand dollars is just really outrageous to me, and I I don't think it'll get anywhere near that. Uh, I I I would agree with you. Uh, I think it would get close to six thousand dollars <laughs> if you run it auction style and let it ride. You might make some amount of profit, but I just think asking that much more is just completely unrealistic. It's unproductive. Um, anyway, I just want to touch on that because I found it interesting that the card just nine months ago sold for this smaller number, quite a bit smaller number. Yeah, and we we see cards like this all the time, you know, vintage stuff, modern stuff, whatever. And people just put these bins up for these absurd prices, and they sit for months and years and eons. And it's like, what do they expect to happen? I mean, well, my thing is, I think (laughs) I think people just like showing their collection off. That's true. Hey, I have this card. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, there there are guys, there's seller, quote unquote, sellers on eBay that just have really cool pieces that they don't intend to sell any of it. Yeah, I guess from their perspective, it's like, hey, I'll 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 show off this card 
Worst case scenario, someone hits the bin, <laughs> and, and I'm up hundred thousand yeah, dollars. So yeah, yeah, keep dreaming, dude. Keep dreaming. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a beautiful card. I love it. I just I, I find this kind of selling behavior very and unproductive. So, yeah, well, we talked about this I think last week or two weeks ago. With if you ever see a card that's that's up at a, a buy it now, um, and the price seems way higher than you think try and do some research and find out if that card has sold before right and um because that'll give you some leverage if you do want to maybe get into negotiations with the seller right um certainly do your research and i mean if if i were looking to shell out a hundred thousand dollars for this card which is kind of an extreme example but Mm. and i were to find out that it had originally sold for closer to five thousand dollars i mean geez that would really Grind, grind your gears. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> it, would, it would either tell me I don't want to deal with this seller because th- this person is obviously a little delusional, right? Or I'm going to make an offer and be much more aggressive with that offer because now I know the history, I know when it sold, how much it sold for, and all those things. They're yeah, important. You know, we also discussed in the last podcast that uh, if you wait, if you buy something, you want to resell it, and you wait like over 60 days, the previous auction listing will drop off of the eBay sold listings archives. Sure. So then you can relist it and then people doing research to see if it's sold will either need to get a a paid subscription to WorthPoint, like that kind of service, um, or try to find some other way to research the, 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 whatever sale records existed for whatever card. (laughs) So if, if it's been nine months, you know, it's hard. Yeah. The memory of this selling, back in November, it's kind of like, it's faded, you know, it's, it's, it's too far back now. And so, um, I can understand the strategy of relisting it at any price beyond what you paid for it now that the market has kind of like been distracted with Otani and everything else that's been going on in the hobby. So, uh, I totally get that. Um, I just think that there's a significant amount of zeal <laughs> that is being showcased when you, uh, produce a bin price that's you know 20 times what you paid for the item right i wanted to touch on that kind of interesting moving on uh speaking of bowman have you ever noticed ryan that bowman platinum doesn't sell nearly as well as bowman chrome definitely and (laughs) what the heck it's always kind of fascinated me because bowman platinum is not a cheap product if you're buying packs and boxes or whatever right I mean, it's it's a quote unquote premium product from Tops, and it's it's never really lived up to to what they're asking for it. And even like key rookie cards, key players over the years, I mean, everybody goes to to Chrome, and the Platinums of the world and the Sterlings, these kinds of products are just to me, they're just kind of like filler throughout the year. Um, so I mean. It's I, I tend to avoid that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think you're not alone in that way. I mean, the sale the sale values are a testament to that. A perfect example: 2018 Bowman Orange Border number to 25 Otani rookie sells for like five hundred dollars. It's number to 25. Okay, mm-hmm. move over to the Bowman Platinum line. The red parallel to 10 Otani rookie sells auction style for two hundred dollars. So it's like. I mean, I get that 
the Bowen flagship product comes out before all these other like fringe Bowman arms come out. So a lot of the interest is added in that way because it's the first one. And almost from a st- strategic move, that's a good decision uh, because everything else is just money makers, right? But your bread and butter is like, say, your flagship product. And so sure. uh, if 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 for a month solid, everybody's cr- going crazy on the hot prospect, they're going to want the Bowman Chrome or the Bowman Paper and some parallel. Um, and so fast forward two or three months and these other Bowman arms come out, these other releases, and those cards come out again for that, those same prospects. I think a lot of the interest is dwindled because we're, we've, we've like oversaturated ourselves with exposure to whatever prospect cards existed for the Chrome and paper lines. And That's so true. That, yeah. that factors in, it has to factor in, right? And I've also noticed too, beyond that like latency, is the fact that uh, the designs for Platinum just, sorry to say, aren't as interesting as Chrome. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not boring, but they're not very enticing at the same time. I don't right. really know how to describe it specifically, but they always seem to have the same kind of variation on a theme. And I mean, I, I bought a lot of Platinum back like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. And the 2018 stuff looks kind of the same. Um, so it's the, the only thing I'd find that's kind of a redeeming quality with Platinum. Um, the hits seem to be more numerous. And I, that's probably by design because it's a more expensive product. Um, so the, you know, the, the buyer should expect to get some nice stuff in the packs and the boxes they buy. Right. Um, but like you said, I mean, it just, if you want to turn around and resell those things, um, whether it's this year or in 10 years, I mean, just the, the resale value is not good with these products. And I, I think you have a point about they're just sort of trying to fill, um, fill their product line as the season goes on. They're trying to have all these releases and sell more different product, but it's, it's it's a little contrived to me, a little mm-hmm. forced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't really know what the solution is, but it's it's not an interesting product at this point. It's I'm I'm certainly not interested, and it seems like the hobby in general isn't that interested um, when these things are released. Do you feel the same way? Well, I will say that the benefit here is that is that people that don't want to spend five hundred dollars on a card number twenty five can get one number to ten for you know, less than half the price. Yeah. So there's merit there. Now I've kind of loosely surveyed the market on this very topic. And from what I gander, and I don't think my population sample is big enough to generalize. So I wouldn't be able to speak for everybody in this capacity, but I will say that my results so far, uh, and I don't think I'm going to get much more results because I just don't have any interest in surveying the market more beyond what I've already done is that people agree that uh, the resale is never as strong as Chrome. And the designs are just never as attractive. At least that's been my understanding from the group I've talked to, the people I've talked to. So I like Bowman products. I like Platinum. I'm not going to buy boxes and packs of them myself, but I I like that there is a variety of different things for people to collect throughout the year. You know, there's, there's, there's merit to that. You know, it's, it's important to have variety and choice. Um, Sometimes 
it's a little much, you know, like you've got Bowman Chrome and Bowman Paper and there's like a plethora of parallels to collect there, different options. And you've got Platinum comes out and there's like freaking tons and tons of options there parallel-wise. So, I mean, Otani rookie cards are dime a dozen. I don't know off the top of my head the, S, the MSRPs for Chrome and Platinum. I don't buy it, but knowing the return value on Platinum compared to Chrome, Platinum should be more affordable than Chrome. Just by math, by, st- by right. just mathematical design. Um, I don't know. Have you looked at price points for either of these products this year? Not in 2018 specifically, but I am over the years. I'm familiar with the price points. Yeah. Um, and they never really align, at least what, with with what I think a platinum tire product is worth. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's kind of boring in a way about platinum is that, and I know that Topps designed the product this way, is it's it's only filled with with quote unquote stars. So you're not really going to get kind of no name players. Right. And that's the cool thing about Chrome is that Chrome and like the Topps flagship products they <clears throat> and the Bowman flagship products, they they put out prospects, first-year players um, that no one's ever heard of, um, and they could just fade away or they could become superstars. Or with Platinum, it's like these are bona fide prospects, these are bona fide rookies, uh, these are superstars um, of each team. So it's like... That's why the the Chrome and the Bowman type products. That's where the key rookie pieces are, because that was the first time these players were pictured on a card. They're not pictured in Platinum or Sterling or any of these other Topps products. It's it's in the Topps flagship products like Bowman and and Chrome. I mean, that's that's where all the the fun rookie stuff is. Yeah, man, that's a good point. Is that that first introduction to uh, Bowman allows you to acquire some of the players' first ever appearances on cardboard. There's, right. a, there's a lot of attraction to that, you know. Um, I get why it's so popular. And, you know, not following Platinum, I didn't realize it was structured that way, but it makes sense. I get, I get yeah, it. if you look at a checklist for any of these, like, quote-unquote premium uh, products... They're not going to have a whole slew of no-name prospects, and that's why it's kind of fun to buy, like the Bowman paper type products, is because you get all these first-year players, or like these prospect players, and at the time, they might be complete nobodies, but you know, in five years, they could be the next Mike Trout. You never right. really know. Right. Whereas, you know, they they do feature prospects and rookies in Bowman Platinum, but it's the only really put like the top 20 guys in there, people that have been already pictured on cards for years. Um, or the hot prospect. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr., they're going to be in Bloomin' Platinum just because they're, you know, top 10 prospect. But the nobody guy that was drafted, you know, way late in the draft, he's not going to be in this product because nobody knows their name. Um, where he was in more of a flagship product um, because the checklist is just that much more expansive. Mm. Um, it's sort of all-encompassing of major league and minor league baseball players. Yeah. And the platinum checklist is much more focused on 
current stars, hot prospects, and these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, I mean, if you buy a pack, it's like, it's not that interesting unless you get a big hit, you know, uh, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I think that the big hit thing, at least the way I collect, I prefer the big hit being like getting a Donruss elite out of the pack of 91 Donruss. Ah, Something yes. all of us has, if, if any of us, you know, had collected in 1991, understand what I'm talking about, how amazing of a feeling that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, today's modern hits are kind of a. Uh, they 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 offer a a different sense of value for depending on what you collect. It's a different kind of um, intrinsic value, but uh, yeah, platinum, interesting stuff, man. I'm glad we got to talk about that a little bit at least because I've always looked at that as being like, man, what a different, what a dichotomy, you know, like what a different expectation for different you know, these two products. So. Yes, it's it's very interesting. Speaking of rookie cards, I want to talk about a Jason Hayward card I acquired recently. 2009 Topps Chrome Baseball was released on August 4th, 2009. Jason Hayward made his MLB debut on April 5th, 2010. Okay, so his rookie year card, anything depicting the rookie symbol, the RC symbol, the rookie card symbol, is from 2010. Anything released prior are um, rookie era slash prospect cards, the pre-rookie cards. Okay, I, I add those into the rookie era because they're like anything leading up to his rookie year and in, and his rookie year are rookie era cards, just to make that distinction, that distinction. Now, according to MLB rookie eligibility requirements, a player must have at least 130 at-bats to be considered a rookie. Jason Hayward had 520 at-bats in his 2010 campaign, which made him eligible for rookie status only during and not prior to the 2010 season. Okay. The RC or rookie card logo is only added after the player has made their MLB debut. All right. Now that last point, that last point about the RC logo has been my understanding, my experience along the way. I've never known a player not to reach the majors and still have the rookie to card logo. I just haven't seen that yet. Now, I'm sure someone's going to prove me wrong by submitting a comment and you know, whatever. What I'm telling you is that Jason Hayward, the baseball cards in 2010 are the only ones depicting the RC logo. You won't find that on issues previous to 2010. Okay. Now, scouring eBay recently, I found a 2009 Topps Chrome card featuring Jason Hayward. Okay. Real quick, before we dig into this, let's talk about something else. Jason Hayward was featured on major licensed products in 2007, 2008, and again in 2010. Seven and eight, they were pre-rookie cards in the Bowman lines and some of this Donner's Elite stuff. Or Panini Elite, whatever you want to call it. He In 2009, he was featured on some minor league products and some like TriStar Obok. It's unlicensed, you know, just not major products, not not key flagship mainstream products. Nothing major league. 2010 was his rookie year. It's when he made his debut in April. So everything was, all the stuff produced in 2010 is our rookie cards. All right. So you've, uh, so we're looking at this card that I found. is 2009 and Topps Chrome featuring Jason Hayward. It should not exist. And it has the rookie card logo on it. it it's, so my conclusion about this card, why it exists, 
is because it was produced to review the product to an internal group of TOPS employees for final proofing before the product was released. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, I think that I it, this would be my understanding, my assumption. I can't back this up with any degree of certainty, but I will say this. Jason Hayward would have been a great guy to choose to put on this proof card because he was a highly touted prospect in 2009. He was also touted in 7 and 8. And in 6, sure. he's in Tops Aflac in 2006. But in 2009, he wasn't on anything mainstream. No Tops, no Bowman, no Panini Elite, nothing. So this, I believe, was produced for internal review and then backdoored by some employee who thought they could make a dime uh, on the on the secondary market, which has probably been true because back in 2009, he was, you know, super popular leading into 2010. So, you know, who much who knows how much money changed hands the first time this entered this 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 was, you know, showed up in the secondary market. Right. But I don't think there's any more than one copy of this card. And, and if there are, it's a very small number of copies. But I'll, I don't know if I'll ever know if there is any more than one this this one copy. I'm not sure if Tops can produce just one card. I don't know if their machines are set up that way. I don't know. But kind of cool stuff. I found this. It's on. I, I blogged about it on radicards.com. If you want to have a look at this uh, image, you can certainly do that. Really cool stuff. Awesome, awesome kind of like assumption history with this card because I don't know much more about it. All I know is it's not a, an official release from Tops. It was produced by Tops, but it wasn't officially released in the market. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's... I think we've seen a few things like this over the years in the hobby, especially with the these like highly touted prospects. You know, yeah. they, they tend to appear maybe a little earlier than they should have. But you're right. I mean, it shouldn't exist. And these it's one of those oddities in the hobby that are really fun to discover for yourself. Yeah, this is really cool stuff. I mean, I um, when I first saw it, I, I, I passed on it. I was like, oh, that's kind of unique i mean maybe it's a custom but yeah you flip the card over it's a legitimate 2009 tops chrome card it's got all the stats it's got the copyright information on the bottom everything looks legitimate so it's got a top certified autograph issue area on the front with no autograph because mm -hmm. it wasn't produced to get autographed but then I started to think about this card after a day and I was like you know I, I think I'm gonna grab that because I don't think I'm ever gonna see that card again if it sells and I probably kicked myself because I didn't get it. So I picked it up and I'm glad I did. It's a beautiful card. It's just such an intriguing thing to see Hayward featured on a 2009 Topps Chrome card. I just never thought I'd, it never, never occurred to me to even think about that. So mm -hmm. cool stuff. You have any thoughts about that? Uh, he was just such a huge prospect huge. back in the day. Yeah. He huge prospects. Um, you know, continues to hang around. With the Cubs, obviously won a World Series with them. Um, he's a fun player to watch. Mm -hmm. Hasn't quite lived up to the hype that we saw, um, you know, 10 years ago. But right. um, still, I mean, it's like I said, I think it's this card is, is more fun to me just for the weirdness around it. Not so much for the player, but uh, still really fun stuff. And that's why, you know, spending... <laughs> hours and, and days and weeks on ebay <laughs> pays off uh, yeah it pays off and you, you find these odd things that are like you sort of start scratching your head like is that actually real right and sometimes it is sometimes it isn't but you know 
that's that's why you sort of dig into these things. It's fun. Right. Yeah, I never would have thought to search for 2009 Jason Hayward stuff. That's a you know mainstream licensed product. But glad I found this one. I probably spend too much time on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I think because I do like product research constantly, and I do singles research, and I just like what's happening in the Frank Thomas market, obviously. But then I add in all these other like you know, side tangent things, these little side projects. And so constantly learning about new things. And this is one of those pieces. I'm like, how rad is this, right? Such an obscure, like off the beaten path kind of thing. So, Yeah, well, eBay is, I mean, for this kind of product, it's you kind of have to be very consistent with your searches and mm-hmm. consistent with, what you're looking for because like like we said earlier i mean after a while these auctions and these these listings expire right and unless you um are paying for a service that tracks these things you kind of have to do it yourself so if you're really serious about finding these kind of oddities and tracking certain players and products i mean you kind of have to be there you have to be on there a lot yeah and you have to document kind of for yourself what you've seen over the years um, yeah, truly. So. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, you have to just kind of like invest time, spend time doing it. I mean, I guess if you're passionate about whatever, you're going to end up knowing a lot about whatever that is because you want to be around it. You want to be involved in it. You want to know about it. You want to research it. That's how I am with baseball cards. So cool, man. Really cool uh, piece there. If you're on radicards.com, just type in Jason Hayward in the search bar. And you'll find it, this article on this card. You can see the front and the back. Really dig this piece. Really, really cool item to have. Maybe one of my top 10 most favorite non-Thomas pieces of 2018. Mm. So, I know, pretty pretty stellar <laughs> accolades, right? Yeah, that's, that says a lot coming from you because you have... <laughs> you have a lot of awesome non-Thomas stuff from Thanks, this year man. alone. Thanks, dude. Yeah, I've been... Uh, I've been focusing on some stuff outside of the Thomas market this year. I think more so than Thomas. I've had a great year with Thomas acquisitions, no doubt. But because I stopped collecting modern, it's really helped me like conserve where I put my funds. And I've been able to kind of focus on other things in my hop in my collection. So glad we got to talk about Mr. Hayward. He's always he's always a fun one to discuss. Uh, moving on. You might remember a guy by the name of Fernando Martinez. He vaguely, came... <laughs> very vaguely, I had to sort of refresh my memory okay. on this guy. So I was in business school when this guy was coming up, and so I didn't pay any attention to this. I learned about him way long after. In fact, I only learned about him like a couple of months ago. That's how long after. Um, so he came up, he was really young, um, and he's, he's had, he started his rookie year in 2009 with the Mets and played until 2013 with, and he spent his last two years with the Houston Astros and he hung it up. That was a career, no awards, no accolades, a really terrible career batting average. He wasn't much of a power hitter or a hitter for average, but he was a highly, highly touted prospect in 2007. So high in fact that his super fractor sold for more than any other superfractor before the Steven Strasburg superfractor from 2010. I think it sold for something north of $7,000. Mm-hmm. 
Now this is the Super Fractor from 2007 Bowen Chrome. Okay. And $7,000 for that. I mean, probably the, the owner's like, oh, well, it looks nice in my collection. You know, <laughs> probably not <laughs> stoked that his card isn't worth a lot now. I'd love to see it. I don't, I've never seen an image of that card in the Super Fractor. But. So when I learned that little fact, and then being the owner of the Strasbourg Super Fractor now myself, I wanted to get something from Fernando Martinez. So I like was researching over the last couple of months his stuff, and I I had acquired a uh, 2009 Bowman Chrome Red Refractor number to five, and I was like, that's you know he's in his Mets, it's a rookie year card, that's kind of nice to have. And so and then I was researching his 2007 Bowman Chrome stuff, and there was an orange refractor online. The guy wanted like 35 bucks, and he's like, it once was a one thousand dollar card. And I looked up like old prices, and sure enough, that card was worth like thousand bucks as an orange sure. refractor. Yeah. Super Fractor sells for like seven over $7,000. Orange Refractor fetches 1000 The Red Refractor, number to five, because the orange is number to 25, the red to five has to have sold or had been had a valuation of like $3,000 back then, right? I mean, could you make that assumption? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, he, he's, he was the man back in the day. I mean, this, this is a huge card. Huge. So. So here's the thing. I, I think it's a safe assumption to make. I think so, right? It's kind of like not halfway between because nothing's ever absolute, right? Nothing's, it's not going to be five times a thousand because the print run is five times less than 25. Like, I'm never going to make those kinds of assumptions. The market doesn't work out that way. It's not perfect like that. Right. But I will say that 2,500 to 3,000 probably would be a close block, I think, in valuation for this card back when it came out in 2007. So one evening, Last like two weeks, I was looking on CMC and typed in Fernando Martinez, and the red refractor to five PSA nine was there for twenty five bucks, and I had placed an offer because I figured like why not place an offer to see if I can get it for less, like nineteen bucks. Never got a response after like two days. I'm like I'm just gonna buy it outright, so I bought it, and now I have this card that probably one more at one point was worth three thousand dollars, and I got it for twenty five dollars. I just think it's interesting this, <laughs> like it has such a as the story isn't uncommon though that's the thing we see a lot of these guys come up and their stuff sells for crazy money crazy money and fast forward a couple of years they flounder and you know they retire from baseball and these cards are you know hope to have give away some find somebody to get them for give them away for free you know you see this with hank conger stuff all the time stuff just doesn't sell but he was a highly touted prospect in 2011. Do you remember that? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is sort of a common story. These highly touted prospects and, you know, the cards can sell for ridiculous prices and they can just sort of fade into obscurity. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Fernando Martinez, even if you bring this guy up to like, a very well-versed baseball fan that follows the sport closely. I I wouldn't be surprised if they have no clue who this person is. Really? Um, really? Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I immediately of... thought that you were going to say everybody would know who this guy was because he was covered <laughs> like crazy in 2007. When you said, like, you talked to anybody who's well-versed in baseball, they wouldn't know who this guy is. That that would That's surprising to me. Well, I... You know, that's, that's just sort of what I think. Maybe you should start, like, a Twitter poll. See... See what people think. I'd be curious. That's a good idea. 
Um, I, I consider myself pretty well versed in baseball and I, I had to look this guy up to sort of refresh my memory of that specific time in baseball. So, um, I, I think when these, when, when these super highly titled prospects sort of fade into obscurity, like they really fade into obscurity and they really just disappear. And, uh, I think if <laughs> if you don't do a Twitter poll, somebody else should just to see what what the hobby and like what sports fans actually remember of this guy. Yeah. So Fernando Martinez Red Refractor was once at least based on estimation from the value of the orange refractor and the super refractor at the time, red refractor being valued at around three thousand dollars back then. So Really cool stuff that I got this for 25. I think this card scanned unbelievably well. Uh, this is a beautiful card, and I really like looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to conclude with that because um, I think it's kind of an interesting point to talk about. Ryan, did you have any final thoughts? I'm looking forward to what the month of August has to bring. Mm. We're sort of up against the trade deadline as we're recording this podcast. Obviously, last week we talked about Manny Machado. He was sort of the the big trade um, acquired by the Dodgers. Yeah. And there's been a, a you know half a dozen other trades that have happened this week. Nothing too huge, but um, the trade deadline is still open. I think it ends in like a day or two, mm-hmm. so we might see something happen um, before our next podcast. Um, but regardless, all these trades just sort of they change the landscape of each team. And so August is, is the time when, you know, contenders sort of make their run and other teams just sort of fall behind. And it's going to be fun to watch who sort of comes out on top towards the end of the month. It's going to be a really fun month to watch in baseball. Yeah, man. Good stuff. I'm glad, uh, glad we're talking about this stuff right now. Cause, uh, it's going to be cool to see how it all plays out. Yes. For the listeners, uh, post a comment below. If you're on the, the blog or on YouTube and tell us uh, so if you remember Fernando Martinez, uh, what you remember about Jason Hayward <laughs> and any other topic that we've discussed on this this podcast. If you want to chime in and, and, and make a comment, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Uh, thank you for listening to the Radicards podcast on Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.